turn in your Bible, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Appreciate the wonderful music this morning. It's blessed our souls. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. May we pray a moment. Our Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is here. And any crowns that we receive in life, we would like to say to you, we want to present them before the throne one day when we stand in thy presence. We pray that the Spirit of God will do his office work, bring encouragement and disturbance. And those who are without Christ, may they be convicted and drawn to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve a God who is sovereign. In the days prior to the great awakenings in the past years, there's been much preaching on the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> God is boss. God is in charge of things. God is our helper. A great hymn says, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our God is called in the Bible by names like Elohim, a plural of majesty and trinity. Jehovah, the Lord covenant God. Adoniah, the name so revered that when they came to his name in the Jewish Bible, they would not pronounce his name. They would just say Adoniah, which means Lord. And the interpretation and fulfillment of all that the Old Testament said about Jehovah, Adoniah, Elohim, Jesus himself. When we think about the attributes of God, we think of his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnisapience, his omnipresence. God is eternal. God is immutable. God is love. God is filled with mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a faithful God. And God is a holy God. And we think of all of that. We think of these words that were penned by the Apostle Paul nearly 2,000 years ago about Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not something to be held on to at all costs, but literally emptied himself into the form of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he, the God of all the universe, the immutable God, the holy God, the loving God, the omnipotent God, the omniscient God, the omnisapient God poured himself into human man and humbled himself. 
took upon him the form of a man. Being found in fashion as that man, he went to the cross for our sins. Everybody acknowledges that there's something about Jesus that's divine. The divinity of Jesus is almost universally uncontested. But when it comes to saying that Jesus is God, some have a question mark in their minds. If Jesus is only divine, that is a touch of the divine, then our faith is vain because everyone in this room is divine. We're made in the image of God. The very fact that we were created and made in our mother's womb is a miracle. And there's a touch of the divine in all of us. But Jesus was deity himself. He was God incarnate in human flesh. Scripture speaks of God made flesh. I want us to think for a few moments about this and what it means that the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the sovereign, the immutable God, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of holiness, the God of peace, the God who is omnipotent, omniscient, that God is Jesus himself. What does it mean that he was deity? What does it mean that Jesus was deity? I think it means four things, and I want to present these to you very briefly. Number one, it means that he was able to pay the price for our sins. The Bible says that we are sinful. There's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Sin is a serious matter. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 4 that sin is the transgression of the law. It's like crossing a red light. Stepping beyond that red light. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. Like the prodigal who left his father and went into a far country. And wasted his substance in riotous living. Sin is rebellion in the heart against a holy God. Thirdly, in James chapter 4, verse 17, sin is the omission of good. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is the omission of good or godliness. We leave it out of our lives. Fourthly, the Bible says that a bad spirit is sin, like a malignancy that eats away at our soul and leads to bitterness. And then the crowning sin is unbelief. The greatest sin in Bowling Green is not stealing. As bad as that is, nobody likes the thief. The greatest sin in Bowling Green is not kidnapping, as tragic as that is, heinous as it is. The greatest sin in Bowling Green is not drug traffic. It is not getting drunk. All those, th- all those things make you despicable. Nobody wants to be around a drunk. And people do things when they're under the influence of drugs or liquor they'd never think of doing any other time. But those things are not the greatest sin. The crowning sin and the thing that leads to all the other sins is a sin of unbelief. The wickedness of the heart that says, I know all these things about God, but I don't believe. 
I know that Jesus was God incarnate and he died on a cross for my sins, but I'm not going to believe upon him. I'm not going to invite him into my heart. I'm not going to let him change my life. That's the wicked sin that opens the door of hell and closes the door of heaven. But I want to tell you, Jesus came to pay the price for that sin. Man was sold into sin. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us all about man made in the image of God. And the sinister serpent came and hissed at Eve and tempted her. And she and Adam went down in rebellion against God. God said, thou shalt not. Eve said, I'm going to do it anyway. And the devil said, it won't hurt you anyway. You'll be just like God if you do it. And so Eve and Adam went into sin. And ever since then, God has been saying, thou shalt not. And man says, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't need anybody to tell me I can handle this job all by myself. That's the wickedness of sin. And we are sold into sin like the little child. You wrap a little thread around his hands and you say, break that thread and he breaks it. Put his hands together again, wrap that same little thread around four or five times. You say, break it, it's a little harder that time. You wrap that, put his hands back together and you wrap that thread around his hands 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 times and you say, now break it. And he tries and he tries and he tries and he tries and he can't. And that's what sin does to you. It fastens you. It puts its strongholds around you and you can't break it. But I have good news for you. Jesus can break the shackles of sin. He paid the price for our sin. In Revelation chapter 5, There's a beautiful picture into the beauties of heaven. And there's the story of John transported to heaven. And there's a book presented. And in that book is everything that is yet to come. But the book is sealed with seven seals. And nobody is found worthy to open the book. And John sits down to weep because nobody could be found to open the book. And then someone comes along and touches John on the shoulder and says, John, it's all right. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed and he hath loosed the seals of that book. Jesus is able to loose the seals from your life and to break those shackles and bondages of sin and tear them apart. He has paid the price for sin. There was none other good enough to pay the price for sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let us in. I think of that little boy that caught the sparrow. It took him all morning to catch his little bird, had it in his hand, walking down the street. And some man came along and said, Sonny, what you got? He said, I have this little bird. Took me all morning to catch him. And the man said, Sonny, that little bird bird needs freedom. You ought to let him go. Why? He said, I took me all day to catch him. I'm not going to let him go. The man thought a minute. He pulled out a dollar bill. He said, would you sell me that bird for a dollar? The boy looked at the bird, looked at the dollar. He wanted that dollar. He said, all right. The man gave him the dollar. The boy gave him the bird. And the man put the little bird in the palm of his hand. The little bird was all clenched down. He didn't know he was free. And the the man just sat there, stood there with his hand out and the bird all clenched down. Finally, he touched his feathers. And the bird spread his feathers and flew away. Now, that's a picture of what Jesus does for you and me. He paid the price for our sin. 
He took the strongholds that were around our lives to drag us down and down and down into a hell. And he broke that. Amen. Jesus paid the price for sin. And the reason he was able to do it is because he was God. Amen. Secondly, he put away the priestly system. In the Old Testament, when a man sinned, he would take an offering for that sin like a little lamb or a sheep or a goat or a heifer or if he couldn't afford anything else, a little pigeon. He would go to the priest and the priest would kill that animal and put the blood as a sacrifice on the altar. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and there on the Ark of the Covenant, surrounded by the seraphs, he would offer a blood sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of the people. But Jesus came to be that sacrifice himself. In our Sunday school lesson study this morning, we were in the fifth chapter of Hebrews and we, we noticed that Jesus is said to be better than Aaron. Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The reason he's better than Aaron is because Aaron had to go as a human priest and offer a sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again. But Jesus himself was the fulfillment of that sacrifice. And when he went to the cross, he who knew no sin literally became the accursed thing for us. And in our place, he died right in the mouth of hell. And he who knew no sin became the accursed thing of sin. And while he was dying on the cross, a terrible thing happened, a tragic thing happened. The sun was darkened. God wouldn't even let the sun shine on that dark picture. The earth began to tremble. And somebody came running from the city of Jerusalem and said, High priest, high priest, the veil of the temple is rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Amen. Indicating that God himself pulled that veil away. Never again would a priest have to go beyond the veil and offer a blood sacrifice. Out there at Calvary that day, Jesus himself was the sacrifice for sin. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And I cling to that old rugged cross till one day it is replaced Amen. with a crown. Ladies and gentlemen, every believer is his own priest today. That's the reason in Bible-believing churches we don't call our preacher a priest. Every one of us is a priest. Priest Lloyd over here. Priest Glenn back there. Here's Priest Deanna over here. We're all priests under God. And every one of us has direct access to God. In those days, in the Old Testament, you had to go through a human priest. Today we go through the high priest Jesus. Jesus put away the Old Testament priestly system. And now he is king of the sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10, listen. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast no pleasure. 
Again, he says, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin. Thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering often the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had suffered, offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, <clears throat> expecting till the enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Yes, Jesus put away the priestly system. Not only did he pay the price for sin, he put away the priestly system, but something even more, he promised perpetual life. Now we think of perpetual motion, we think of something that goes on and on and on without any outside uh, motivation. That's not exactly what we're talking about when we talk about perpetual life. Jesus offers perpetual life, the devil offers perpetual death. Man. A man that is lost goes on dying and dying and dying and when he goes through the portals of human death, he goes out into eternal death. Somebody has said, the man that is born once dies twice. The man that is born twice dies once. Just dies of the flesh. Now, the perpetual life that Jesus offers is the life eternal. In 1 Peter chapter 1, let me read this to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I want to submit to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, if you're saved, you're saved forever. Christ promises you perpetual life. He doesn't say I'm going to give you life for a few days or a few months or a few years or, or a few decades. He said you're saved forever. This scripture says this salvation is for you who are kept by the power of God Man. through faith. I'm not kept by myself. Right. In John chapter 10, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Amen. I and my Father are one. Several years ago, somebody gave me this watch. I appreciate it very much. Now if this watch should uh, stop working, you think I'd just throw it away somewhere? I'd take it and try to get it fixed. Now this watch I put in my hand close my hand on it, put my hand over it. If Ryan up here is bigger than I am, stronger than I am, he can come up here and ply my hands and get this watch out of my hands. If he can't, if, if he isn't bigger than I am, he can't. You know, notice I picked on Ryan. He's probably pretty strong. He might be able to do it. I saw his brother running a football game the other day. I didn't ask Mike to come up here, but he, he might be able to get it out. But I want to tell you, the Bible says when you get saved, Jesus places you in the hand of God. He closes his hand on you. Then the Holy Spirit seals you <clears throat> according to Ephesians chapters 1 and 4. He seals you unto the day of redemption. 
And no man is able to pluck you out of my Father's hand. Inside my hand, that watch may slow down. I have to shake it a little bit. It may just even quit. I take it to the jeweler and try to get it fixed. But I don't throw it away. The Lord Jesus has to do that to us. Sometimes he has to shake us. Sometimes he has to whip us. Sometimes he has to take us to the fix-it shop. But he never throws us away. We're dear to him. We're precious to him. We're important to him. He promised us perpetual life. I and my Father are one. I give unto you eternal life. Why is he able to do this? Because Jesus is God. Now, there are a lot of different concepts about what it means to be saved. Some think that to be saved means that here's a doctrinal statement out here and you say, "Uh uh-huh, I think I'll believe that. And you believe it. You follow it for a while. You want to quit following it. You just quit and go off somewhere. Now, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then you can be lost after you're saved. If that's what it means to be saved. Some people believe that being saved means joining a church or getting baptized. Well, the church could turn you out. If that's what it means to be saved, then you could be lost after you're saved. But if to be saved means that you receive Jesus inside of you, if that's what it means, to them who received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. If it means to receive him into your heart, Listen to what he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. A mother may forsake her little child, but I'll never leave you. Why? Because he's God in human flesh. The immutable, omnipotent, omnisapient, omniscient God of mercy and love and grace and faith and faithfulness and holiness has come to live inside of you. And that grace that saves, as we mentioned the other day from Titus chapter 2, teaches us some things. It teaches us that that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously and godly and soberly in this present world, looking for the glorious appearance of Jesus who is coming again. Now, if that grace that has come into your heart doesn't teach you those things, you probably have not been saved. If there's nothing inside of you that says, don't do that, stop short of that, that's a dangerous thing. Or when you step over the line, he bothers you and he disturbs you and he makes you hurt inside. If that's not there, then beloved, you're not saved. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. But the Holy God, who was in Jesus, so much so that this Jesus was God, has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. One more thing and I'll be finished. Not only did he pay the price for sin and put away the priestly system and promise us perpetual life, but he gives power. He gives power to our lives. In Romans, turn, turn your Bible to Romans chapter 6 and look what God says. Romans chapter 6. He gives power sufficient to break the power of canceled sin 
On his first anniversary as a Christian, Charles Wesley wrote those wonderful words. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And in Romans chapter 6, beginning of verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in its lusts. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Does that say you'll never sin? No, it just says sin won't have dominion over you. It won't have power over you. It's not going to have its unquenchable power to pull you down and down and down and put you in hell. Sin can't do that anymore to a believer. Because the Lord Jesus has broken the power of that canceled sin and has set us free. And when we do sin, the Holy Spirit prompts us and deals with us and touches us. And we repent and turn back to him. God has given us not only the power to overcome sin, but the power to have joy. You know, those outside of Christ don't have any joy. They may have a few thrills. You may get a few thrills out of some kind of sexual orgy. You may have some kind of thrills out of getting drunk or getting high on some kind of drug. But you're not going to have joy, real joy, wonderful joy, until you know Jesus. There's a difference in happiness and joy. Happiness depends on happenings. If I have enough money to pay my bills, I'm happy. If a girl or a boy likes me, if my husband and wife relationship's good, if the children are okay, I'm happy. If things go wrong, I'm unhappy. But when Jesus is inside, no matter what the happenings are, there's a joy inside. Joy, wonderful joy, fullness of joy. Jesus gives that. Because he's God, he's within us, and it bubbles up. There's an old song we used to sing, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. It's bubbling day and night because Jesus is there. Not only does he give power to have joy, he gives us a song in the night. I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody. It's the melody of love. And in the night of tears, in the long night of loneliness, he gives a song. And he'll give you a song if you let him. Some of you are discouraged today. Some of you are weary Some have had a lot of heartaches and hard problems and loneliness and people have disappointed you. But I wanted to tell you, if you put your trust in Jesus, he'll give you a song in the night. And this wonderful Jesus is able to bar the door of hell so that none who trust in him will ever taste the pangs of hell. Jesus did it for us. He tasted all that for us, for you and me. He who knew no sin tasted the terrible tragedy of hell then with that cross right in the mouth of hell he cries out don't go to hell don't go to hell Jesus knows more about hell than anybody on earth he knows more about heaven than anybody on earth and that's the reason he came to warn us don't go to hell and this same Jesus who died for us opened the doors of heaven oh how wonderful heaven's going to be we read of a place called heaven it's the land of the home of the free. Wonderful, wonderful city. When all my labors and trials are o'er and I'm safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. I want to ask you, do you have a home in heaven? Have you put your trust in Jesus, who is the immutable God, who promised perpetual life and put away the priestly system 
and put away the sins of your life and open the door of heaven for you. Are you trusting in him? If you have not, would you today? Would you just say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to repent of all my sins and ask you to forgive me. And if you are saved, would you enter into the joy of serving Christ? May we pray together. Our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the joy of living. And Jesus is the one we can trust in the darkest hours. He's the one who will lift us, place our feet on the solid rock of God. We pray that there's one person within the sound of our voice today who has never made arrangements for heaven. He's never repented of sin, really genuinely repented, and let the Holy Spirit come into his heart. May he do it today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.